You're listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Philip Hunt, university registrar at North Dakota State University. And I'm Alyssa Thoman, registrar services coordinator at the University of Iowa. And this is Access, Equity, and Inclusion in Practice. Hello, welcome to For the Record. I'm your host, Doug McKenna. Today, we're going to be talking to Philip Hunt from NDSU and Alyssa Thoman from the University of Iowa on the practical application of access, equity, and inclusion, including some of the work that the Acro Black Caucus is undertaking. Phil, Alyssa, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. We are happy to be here. And thank you for providing us with a platform to discuss this very important topic. You bet. So let's jump in. We'll kick things off. And Phil, maybe you can take this first part, is just an introduction to the Black Caucus. What is a caucus? What do caucuses do? How does one get involved with a caucus? And then more specifically, what has your experience been with ACRO's Black Caucus? That's for both of you. Yeah. So um, first, you know, I like to just recognize the leadership within ACRO and also the Black Caucus for keeping the conversation around diversity, access, equity and inclusion front and center uh, within within our profession. With everything that's been going on lately on our campuses and in our nation, the Black Caucus um, has been really out front with discussion of of these issues and, and this topic. Caucuses are, are really about engagement. You know, they, they want to engage different groups, diverse groups within our membership to, to have a platform and to have a voice and, and a sense of belonging. And so that's the whole point of the caucus. It's really there to support members uh, within our professional organization. And it's easy to get involved. You know, um, you can go on ACRO's website, visit. There's a link that says about us and you can click on caucuses and you can see all of the various caucus groups and read what they're all about and decide whether or not if you want to be involved. And if you want to be within uh, the Black Caucus, we're happy to have you. We're here to support you on your journey um, as you navigate your professional career and ACRO. Nice. Thank you. Alyssa, what has your experience been with the Black Caucus I was first introduced to the Black Caucus at my very first and only ACRO conference in Los Angeles in 2018. I was a new member, so I went around and met with different caucuses and, and committees, leadership committees, and it felt really good to see a group of people like myself It was, as someone who often exists in spaces where I'm the only minority, it was a sense of relief um, and something I didn't know I needed to see that there was a support system for people of color, people like myself. Thus far, my, my interaction with the Black Caucus has been keeping up with emails, keeping up with uh, initiatives and bringing them back to our regional organization, UMACRO, and also engaging when we have conversations, when current events happen. You know, when you're the only person who is the minority, 
in your office, it sometimes feels as though you don't have anyone to talk to. And the Black Caucus offers that support system and a place to go when we're processing and working through some of the events that we are seeing happen uh, across our nation. Yeah, it's hard to narrow down exactly, you know, one specific event. There's just been a parade of horribles over the last really four years. Let's talk a little bit about the commitment pledge that the Black Caucus is encouraging people to sign. Yeah, I, I can I can do that. Um, but I do want to go back to kind of the, the first point about what Alyssa talked about. She highlighted her experience about something about a sense of belonging. Um, and that, that's very important, especially um, in, in our profession, because you, you get around, especially higher ed, right? Um, you know, when I started, I kind of got used to being the, the only one or, or one of very few. And as I progressed in my career, I heard the standard reasoning of there weren't enough qualified candidates or we have a pipeline problem. From hearing these time and time again, you almost have to ask yourself, or ask those folks, where are you looking and how wide of a net are you really casting, right? right? Because from my standpoint, there there is a lot of talent out there and it's really not that hard to find, especially in today's day and age with publications and job boards and diverse issues of higher education and um, the journal for blacks in higher education. I look around Acro and I see colleagues like Louisa Havens, Cassandra Moore, Tiffany Robinson, Bianca Thompson Owen, Rockin' Hall and Kizzy Morris, who are great representatives of the talent and expertise we have within our membership. And the truth is they all started somewhere and were given opportunities to showcase their talents and look at the good that that has done, not just for ACRO, but for their respective communities and for the students whose lives they've touched directly or indirectly. And then so when I look at them and then I look at our younger professionals, like Alyssa, I get excited for the opportunities that lie ahead with with ACRO. Um, and this is why the efforts of Rosalind Perry, the president of the Black Caucus, have focused on engagement via conversations, which were represented, as we discussed, as the town hall that was done in June, right. uh, followed by the, the, the death of George Floyd, and then also the March on Washington. And, and as you wanted to talk about, which we'll get into, the the social justice pledge from the from the caucuses and, and a big supporter of the caucus. You can look at the efforts of Cassandra Moore, who is the current vice president of Ac access and equity and where she's engaging the membership through various initiatives like the caucus excellence initiative, which aims to identify caucus members who are subject matter experts in areas that are connected to acro competencies and proficiencies. And then she wants to engage them in the production of relevant content across all ACRO platforms for the benefit of, of our members. So, you know, you, you talk about the role of the Black Caucus. The Black Caucus has a very important role and an impactful role for not just Black members or minorities, but for the entire membership as, as a whole, because we will grow and get better as we do that. You know. I don't know if you know this about me, Doug. I think Alyssa knows, but I'm a former Division I student athlete. And one of the things I love the most about sports is the team dynamic. 
And it didn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your social economic status, religious background, or sexual orientation. All that mattered was whether or not you upheld the values of the program and whether or not you used your talents to help the team win, right? So now when I look at diversity, access, equity, and inclusion, it's the same philosophy, but in a different context, as we right. all have different skills and different talents we bring to the profession and to help educate our students. And so the, the whole goal now, as we look at the pledge, the social justice pledge is just that. We're looking at how can we engage our membership and have them pledge to use their skills and their talents to move this initiative forward, to support diversity, equity, inclusion within the membership in ACRO, but also on their campuses for, for their students. Yeah. And that's a good way for people who want to do something, but aren't sure exactly how to do something or what specifically to do. That's a good place to start is to navigate to the Black Caucus site and click on Take the Pledge. And I'll put a link in the show notes page as well to make that an easier destination for people to find. But then that invites you to do a bunch of things. You fill out some information and it kicks back. You get contacted by someone from the Black Caucus as well. So there's some follow-up built into the process. And I, I would encourage the ACRO membership to go be involved in that way specifically. We have talked about it. We've used the words a number of times, but I'm interested in hearing both of your thoughts on how do you define access? How do you define equity? And what does inclusion mean to you? So for me, when you look at diversity, diversity is really about the, the types of people, uh, perspectives, and ideas and backgrounds that you bring to a table, right? So if we're all at a table, I invite you to my table. And so you're there at the table with me. Now, inclusion is whether or not you actually have a voice at that table and you're being heard, okay? And so when we look at our membership and we look at our roles here on campus, I would say as registrars, we can play a vital role in helping moving diversity, access, and inclusion initiatives forward. Why is that? Because as an enrollment professional, and specifically as a registrar professional, my view is that as registrars, and, and you know this, Doug, we sit at the intersection of shared governance on a university campus. Yeah, we are the hub. We are we are the hub. And there's not one unit on campus that touches so many different types of people and constituents from faculty to students to staff to prospective families to think about your federal regulators, state regular accreditation, you name it. We we are a part of it. And so we have a perspective and also we have the data to help inform decisions when when we come into into a crisis. You know, one of the ways that I look at this and I, I like to get involved in my campuses, you know, every campus that I've worked at pretty much, I was on some form of their, the campuses diversity, equity and inclusion task force or committee. Yeah. Um, and so as a registrar, 
this has been helpful because I can look at, okay, what are some of our academic policies? And do they have a disparate impact on minority students? How are we, what do our DFW's rates look like amongst our minority students? What are we doing about that? Do we find that students who are first generation or underrepresented have issues registering on time? And if so, why is that? And then bringing those conversations forward, whether it be to a provost, to a president, to a faculty senate. And so there are many ways in which you can get involved to support access, right? Access to education for all students. That, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about letting people have a sense of dignity and respect as they progress through obtain, getting their, their degree. Yeah. Um, and so as a registrar, whether or not you willingly know that or not, that is what you're, that is what you're doing in the work. And we hope that everyone can buy into that. Absolutely. Alyssa, do you have anything to add to that, expand on that from your perspective? Absolutely. When you're working in an office with people who generally might all be similar, it's it's bringing in more, making the effort to bring in people from underrepresented populations. It, it goes beyond the education to work pipeline. It's, as Phil mentioned earlier, what are the actions we're taking to bring in people from diverse backgrounds? Um, is there language within our hiring practices that makes people feel excluded? Um, the way we are presenting um, job openings, is, is it accessible to people? Um, are we making sure that the hearing impaired uh, can apply? Um, are we making sure that it's as simple as, do we have enough ramps for, for those who need it? Um, I think it's, you know, when we're talking about uh, bringing people in, sometimes that can be the easy step, um, but creating an inclusive environment takes intention, um, takes education, understanding what that means, going out and, and making sure that when people come to work or come to school, they feel valued. They feel that their uniqueness helps us move forward, adds to the work. So so I think in addition to what Phil said, it, it just takes a lot of intentional effort. And, and we need to make sure that we are keeping equity in mind when we are doing these things. Equal does not mean that everyone has the same opportunity. You have to acknowledge the differences in people and make sure that you are meeting them where they are. And when it works for one person, it doesn't work for the other for whatever reason. We all require different tools throughout life. We all learn a different way. Um, we all have our own perspectives, our own biases that we developed throughout the course of our lifetime. And, and we need to understand that and address it when we are shaping policy and, and bring everyone to the table with a different perspective when we are 
are writing those policies or maybe um, rewriting policy. Yeah, that's been a big push on pretty much every diversity and inclusion task force that I've been involved with is a review of policies and practices and how they affect students and ways that we can mitigate negative effects based on simple changes that might be adopted. But to your point, Alyssa, it takes an intentional look at those, an intentionality to find those areas that can and should be improved upon. So thank you both for sharing your thoughts on that. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the challenges specific to access, equity, and inclusion that the pandemic has created. And so way back in February and then early March of 2020, everything shifted. And so we've been home since then. And for the remainder of spring 2020 and all of summer 2020, we, George Mason was 100% online. And in fall, we were about 75, 78% online by registration. And it's ticked up a little bit for spring. Uh, We expect that we'll get some additional in-person registrations here over the next two weeks. But how have those challenges affected your work with access, equity, and inclusion? How are you addressing them and how are you overcoming them? Yeah, you know, it's COVID has exposed a lot of weaknesses on a lot of campuses, hasn't it? True. Um, <laughs> you know, I I remember right before I transitioned to NDSU, I was on um, a listserv, a registrar at listserv, and, you know, people were scrambling. People were scrambling to figure out, okay, what do we need to get online? Oh my gosh. And what about our processes? How are we going to, how are we going to get some of our processes done? You know, because we're not in the office and believe it or not, you know, in spring of 2020, there were still a number of universities that still processed transcripts in person. Yeah. And relied heavily on paper forms for many of their student interactions. Guilty, right. as, guilty as charged. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, you were, we were forced then when we should have been looking before how to make this easy and accessible, right, for our students, right? How do we empower our students to conduct business with the university and get what they need no matter where they are, right? We, were, they, we became so dependent on having them in the office, we were now exposed because now they weren't able to come in. Okay, so how do you handle and address those needs, the needs for those students? Well, then what about other students who maybe from um, a from the standpoint of a disability or accessibility from the Internet? How how accessible were those online materials to that to that group, to that population? There were also challenges with students who lived in very rural areas who didn't have who didn't have access to the Internet 
right? So it became challenging from that standpoint, but it also became challenging from the standpoint of social isolation, where you had groups, you know, you had people who were in uh, underrepresented groups who now maybe they had their group or network of friends um, where they got support who now are more isolated, right? And how are we addressing that portion of it? Unfortunately, I haven't had any exposure to how my campus was necessarily addressing that issue directly. I know that they were trying to find online platforms for students to engage with one another, right? But from a staff standpoint, I look at it and I've been fortunate in that, you know, I came into a situation where we were able to, because of our structure and our setup, our staff was able to be here in office because I'd say 95% of us have our own offices where we can social distance and we can mask up and keep each other safe. So that's pretty amazing. It, it was because, you know, I'm a pretty social person, but in the spring when this first hit, yeah, <laughs> I, I was at home and it was, it was a little tough for me, <laughs> you know, but I would say we have colleagues across the country who, because of the because of the lack of in-person interaction, there are some people who really needed even that Zoom interaction, right? We, we had, so I, I'm a member of uh, UMACRO and uh, as Alyssa is, and we, we had a call just the other day, yesterday, in fact, where we were talking about how good it was just to see everyone's faces. Yeah. You know, and we've done some really good work in gearing up to support diversity, equity and inclusion as we started a new diversity, equity and inclusion committee um, with UMACRO. And for those of you listening uh, who work uh, on their own on these issues with their own regional ACROs, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're doing. We want to hear how we can align ourselves with you um, to to push this issue forward and to also align ourselves with the values of, of the Black Caucus and, and ACRO. So that was a shameless plug, but I think it's for a good cause. <laughs> Love it. That's why we're here, really. <laughs> you know, our university, we moved a majority of our classes to online abruptly. Uh, we actually extended spring break to allow for the adjustment, which was interesting to go in and schedule all of the classes to online and update our online system to accommodate <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was changing the that term was a, dates. That was a thing. Like, right. Talk about outside of your comfort zone. We are the office that plans way in advance. And ever since the pandemic, we have had to shift gears quickly and on a constant basis. So it's definitely pushed us to do things that we were hesitant to do before, such as registration changes online. We would allow it for a certain period, but after the first week of class, we'd require students to go into our service center and, and make those changes. And we we realized by never updating our system, never going online, we have now created a little bit of a challenge with getting registration updated. 
but you know, aside from what it did to our office and how we handled it, which by the way, I think everyone handled it really well. We all worked together and we did whatever we could to get it done. What we noticed is students are struggling with not being in the classroom. Um, we all have unique learning styles, and for students who need that in-person interaction and conversation, they're struggling a bit. Um, and so now it's a matter of what resource can, resources can we offer to them? How can we help make this better? And we're still learning. We don't have it figured out yet. Um, I will admit that. And, you know, in Iowa City, at one point, we had to shut down everything, and a lot of our small businesses near the university have been closed or permanently closed, and these are also places that employed students. So when we think about how does this right. impact our student population, we're talking about students who needed to work to get an income. So now we have students who maybe already relied on financial aid, but it wasn't enough. Now they don't have the money coming in for basic things like food. So our student food pantry um, has seen, seen an increase in service. And it's we've realized we have a lot of faults in creating that equitable environment for them. You know, if you're a student who is well off and you have a home to go back to, you don't rely on the dorms, you don't rely on food in the cafeteria, you might be okay. You might mentally struggle a little bit, which is also important. But there are students who literally don't have a home when we shut down the dorms. And so, yeah, you know, I've, I spoke with a student who had to move back in with family, didn't have internet service. And admittedly with faculty, they said, this student is very bright and I want to do everything I can, but I can't, but I don't have the resources. And so the student struggled, a very bright student with a lot of potential. And by the way, from an underrepresented community, and we haven't quite picked up the slack there. We haven't quite figured out how to make sure we get resources to those students. I know they've they've given laptops to some students, but as Phil mentioned, if you're in a rural area or broadband is difficult to come by, that's only going to go so far. So um, moving completely online has been quite a shift for us, and and it will be nice when we can get back on campus and see everybody and have that interaction with our students. Phil, I think you said that. Uh, COVID has exposed a lot of weaknesses in higher education. And I would go further and say that it has exposed a lack of infrastructure of the nation. And where we have challenges with providing internet access for students, providing internet access for faculty members. I had a faculty member who was participating in faculty senate meetings um, from the parking lot of their local library, because that was where she could access internet access consistently in order to maintain her presence with the faculty senate. COVID has been exceptionally challenging. That's an understatement. 
And I think that we need to think seriously as the nation gets vaccinated, as we make progress. It doesn't feel like we're making progress at the moment, but we're keeping hope alive that this is eventually going to turn around. And that's where I think we need to be very critical about what we allow ourselves to drift back into. I don't think there's a normal that we should aspire to return to. I think there's a new normal that we collectively need to create, both as our institutions, but also as ACRO, and then obviously as citizens in the United States. I think we need to take a lead role in defining what we think is important and how we bring that into practice as we move through the year 2021. So, yeah, and, and, and that's a great point. And, you know, there was an article that I that Alyssa helped me put out in our new macro newsletter. And it talks about, you know, there was a higher education and, and it will never be the same. I think you've even seen those coming out in inside higher ed and also. the. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, no, there's no going back. Right. People were like back to normal. Back yeah, no. to normal. There's, there's no going back. There's only forward. And we st- we have and you're right. We have to define now what the new normal is and what it should be. And with all the challenges that COVID has presented, it's also presented us with some opportunities, some opportunities for us now to really improve our our business model our, and our service model to our students and to prospective students. Because with, with this hybrid and high flex approach, if people are willing to adopt it and, and engage with it and improve upon it, and those are the conversations we're starting to have here on our campus, we can find a whole new market of prospective students. And as we all know, enrollment's going down across the country. You're looking at- Yeah, the demographics are um, yeah, negative. That's right. And so now you have to look at those non-traditional students now and figure out where the opportunities are, how to make education now, right, accessible for these marginalized groups who may not have had an opportunity otherwise. And isn't that the power of education? Isn't that the beauty? Isn't that our goal? Isn't that our mission? And if it's not, it should be. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're here for. So there's an opportunity. And so the question is, how is higher ed now going to restructure, redefine, and reinvent itself to make sure that it continues to be accessible even during these times? And one additional point that I will add to that other than amen <laughs> is that when you were talking before about qualified candidates and an appropriate pool of people from which to pull. Every person on my staff has been remote since March. I literally have people who have moved to Texas, to North Carolina, to Pennsylvania, uh, to New Jersey, all still working for George Mason University. Mm -hmm. As we look at what a service model looks like, We also need to think about what an employment model looks like. What does it mean to work remotely? We've demonstrated that we're capable of providing high-level service with people not on campus. And that really opens the door for, 
I have a really qualified candidate who lives in Tennessee, whose wife has a job in Tennessee, and so they're not going to leave Tennessee. But I want to hire this person because he's the most qualified candidate. Magnify that across the some 3,000 institutions in the United States. And we have a real, again, a possibility of totally rethinking how registrars employ their staff and where they find their candidates and how they engage with the people who work in their offices. So it's an exciting time if there's the potential for it to be an exciting time. And if people are willing to have those tough conversations with themselves and asking, ask, we have to ask ourselves, right? Well, why have we done it this way? Because we know in higher education, change moves pretty slow, right? And we tend to do things that we've always done it, or we just model it after some aspirational institution. Right. So who are <laughs> going to be the people in the forefront who are going to address these issues to show that it can be done and be done well and be willing to adopt a different way of looking at something. And isn't that what diversity is about different ways of looking at something. And so that means you have to bring in once again, people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different perspectives, different thoughts and ideas. That's how we grow. And here's an opportunity for us to grow, but we've got to think differently and bring different yep. people to the table to do it. Yep. Agreed. As we wind the conversation down for today, there have been a couple of invitations to people to get involved in a couple of different ways. What advice would you give to people who are well-meaning, but not necessarily currently active or educated or vocal on issues relating to access, equity, and inclusion? You know, this is this is a tough one um, because you get that a lot. And what we find is for us to grow as people, we have to allow ourselves to step out of our comfort zone. Um, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And that can be scary. And it is scary. The truth of the matter that when it comes to diversity work, DEI work, there is no one size fits all approach to it. And as I mentioned before, it all begins and ends with treating people with dignity and respect. The other piece is the other word that's missing there is grace. Right. Because. People, because there's no one size fits all, people aren't going to get it right. And they're not always going to say the right thing. And it's not that sometimes that they intentionally mean to hurt someone's feelings or to come across in a certain way. We have to allow ourselves and allow other people grace to make mistakes and to learn and give people that space to do that and be forgiving of ourselves and one another. Because that's the way, and in my mind, that's the only way we're going to be able to, to have those quote unquote hard conversations. Right. Is if we give each other that grace and that space and treat one another with dignity and respect. Because that's the only way, especially as a university, when you're talk talking about looking at and evaluating your organizational culture, you've gotta be able to find out where you fall short. 
Yeah. And you can't do that if you're not willing to dig in and be honest with yourself and with other people. That's right. And then from there, you know, you got to figure out how to educate, inform and include. And then you'd have to determine how to how to how to celebrate and communicate and live the values that you've identified for yourselves and then hold one another accountable to those stated and shared values on a daily basis. And that's going to be the hard part. And that's where the rubber meets the road. But it starts dignity, respect, space to have the conversations and grace during those conversations. Right on. Alyssa, your thoughts? So I often think people assume that the work to create an equitable and inclusive environment is someone else's responsibility. However, it is everyone's responsibility. Don't wait for your diversity, equity, and inclusion office to tell you what to do. So I encourage everyone to evaluate their hiring practices and retention efforts. Do an internal audit of your office. Do a temperature check with your employees, especially um, your employees who are in the minority. Attend diversity training. It's probably one of the easiest things anyone can do. You're putting yourself in a place to learn. It's an environment where we all know we are learning and you can walk out feeling more empowered and able to move us forward. You know, it's also important to acknowledge and address current events. We need to understand that it's heavy. And for BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, people of color, these employees are showing up to the office carrying the weight of trauma. They're seeing people who look like themselves being brutalized out on the streets or seeing groups and organizations making a conscious effort to oppress or keep keep Black people from moving forward. So have that conversation. It might be awkward, but silence is not okay anymore. Silence is hurtful. So when we walk into the office and we pretend nothing happened, it exasperates that trauma that your employees might be experiencing. It's important that if you have privilege, use your privilege to lift others. Educate yourself. Please don't wait for someone else to educate you. American culture is rooted in systemic racism. So it's important to look back at policies, laws that have negatively impacted the Black community. And once you educate yourself, you are in a position to call out racism when you see it. It's hard to put your finger on it if you don't see it and you don't know what it is, especially when it comes to microaggressions. Those are subtle. They're hard to find. But the person who is experiencing those microaggressions, it chips away at them slowly. And you're not getting your best, the best results from that employee. They're not able to give their full talent when they come into the office and they're concerned about being different or an outlier or excluded. And allow yourself to be vulnerable. As Phil said, we all need to give each other grace. We all understand that we need to unlearn things that we have learned throughout our whole lives. So it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to apologize. People understand. And as we build relationships with each other, 
it becomes easier to have that open dialogue and it doesn't have to be awkward forever. We just need to start doing something instead of pretending that nothing is happening. So I would say we all need to start working on ourselves, hold ourselves accountable and stop waiting for someone else. Fantastic. Phil, Alyssa, thank you both for being here today, for sharing your thoughts and experiences. I appreciate you taking the time to chat and I hope that people will heed your advice and listen to your invitations to be involved, take the social justice pledge and to follow up with a caucus with ACRO. So thank you both. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thanks again to Phil and Alyssa for taking some time to talk about the work that they're doing and how being a member of the Acro Black Caucus has assisted them in those efforts. I'll include a link to the Acro Caucus page in the show notes for this episode. You're free to join any and all caucuses with which you'd like to be involved. And there are a bunch to choose from. They're a great way to meet other like-minded professionals at other institutions and to learn about different initiatives and contribute to the profession. The work that each of us does to support access, equity, and inclusion in our offices and on our campuses, and more broadly in our communities, will look different from person to person and situation to situation. That's part of diversity. The important thing is that we commit to doing that work in whatever ways we can. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you're staying healthy and safe. Please continue to wear a mask, practice physical distancing, wash your hands, drink some more water, and stretch your legs. We're going to make it through this together. Until next time, I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record. I do want to say, wouldn't it be ironic if there was only one way to do diversity work? <laughs> no. <laughs> Too soon? That's my dad joke for the day. Uh, don't worry, I'm here all week. I'm here all week.